So this epistle from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, uh, one of his protégés, probably his, uh, his closest protégé to him, Timothy, a man that uh, probably came to faith through his early missionary journeys and then represented Paul in many churches and many places. Paul would send him. Uh, and he is you know, one of those characters that keeps appearing as we, you read through epistles and through Acts. He comes up a lot. We don't really know a lot about him, but here uh, in this second letter, Paul is again writing to him, encouraging him in the midst of the burdens of gospel ministry. And so we certainly see that in this particular passage where Paul is meaning to bring encouragement, guides, and help to a young man who is very faithful and yet is carrying the burdens of ministry and, and Paul wants to serve him. So let's read with verse 1. You then, my child, meaning his, his child in the Lord, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you an understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us in the, the midst of this week to settle our thoughts, our hearts on your word that you would feed us as your Apostle Paul meant to strengthen Timothy who served you. We, we also need that. We want that. We ask that you would give us clarity not only of of what Paul is saying to Timothy, but how do we apply it? May it find root in our hearts. Our Father, we need you. We ask that you would work in us. And we ask for each class going on tonight. We ask for the teens in their discussion. We ask for the kids in purpose, that you would be working in every heart that is on this site. We, we give you thanks for everyone who's here. We give you thanks that you are present, that you are active, that you are committed to us. 
And so we come to you with expectation. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's greatest concern, probably the most essential of all for Timothy, is the faithfulness of this young man, just as it is for all of us. The Lord wants us to be faithful. And he points out that our faithfulness rests upon God's grace. Verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Already in this book, Paul has alluded to, sometimes directly pointed out, some of the significant challenges we face. Faithfulness puts us in opposition to the world. Uh, in verse 8 of chapter 1, he spoke of uh, being a prisoner. And, and here we, we see, in, or here in verse 8, it, it speaks of actually being bound like a criminal. We live against the current of the culture in whatever culture we live in. There, there is no godly culture in the world except that which is in the kingdom of God and in the church. Every human culture is bent by sin and distorted. And to live a godly life is to set us against the culture wherever we are. In verse 7, it, we see that we face circumstances that can cause us to be fearful back in, in chapter 1. He's encouraging not to be fearful implying that there are fearful things that we are tempted to be affected by. We are, we are tempted to live under fear. Uh, verse 9, he spoke of how faithfulness requires holiness, and we all know that's a battle for us. We are not naturally holy people. It takes a supernatural work of God to even begin the holy the process of holiness, spiritual birth, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we still struggle to be holy. That is a constant battle within every Christian. Verse 15 in chapter 1 uh, pointed to how people along the way will fail us. And that can be heartbreaking. Paul spoke of those who are committed in ministry who had failed him. There are some who betrayed him. We all experience these types of challenges, struggles. Uh, we all have limitations. We all have weaknesses. We all have hard circumstances. And for all of us, the enemy, as Peter describes, is prowling, seeking to devour accusing us, setting traps. So this reality of needing to be strengthened by grace is important for every believer. We all need strengthening, and it's essential to be strengthened by grace. But to be strengthened by grace, we need to understand grace clearly. And for as much as we talk about grace as believers, we don't always have a completely clear understanding of grace. 
there are things about it we know, but how we live and respond to our world and to God show us that at times we can struggle to, to understand grace, to appreciate it fully, and, and we can struggle to really rest on it and depend upon it. So I, I want to spend a little bit of time in focusing on this uh, idea of being strengthened by grace. And first, what is grace? How does it work? It is the lifeblood of of Christianity, and if we are to, to be faithful as Paul wants Timothy and the church to be, we need to understand. So grace, as you know, by definition, definition is something undeserved. It is God's mercy and favor that we do not deserve. Grace is not given to the worthy. It's not given to the capable. And we know that. We know grace is something God gives we don't deserve. And yet, we regularly, as we think about how God interacts with us, the idea that we have to deserve that favor for God to give us more grace, for God to use us, we have to be people proving our worthiness. We have to meet up to standards and we, we struggle with recognizing how freely God gives grace. Uh, grace is not, well, yes, it's freely given us sometimes and other times it's deserved or other times we earn it. It's, that would not be grace. Grace can only be what is undeserved. Otherwise, it's not grace. He says, be strengthened by grace. Grace is a gift, Ephesians 2.8. It is something that God gives open-handedly, and it flows with abundance. God's commitment to give us grace is tied to, we see in verse 1, being in Christ. Now, that is essential. The grace that we're to be strengthened is the grace that comes in Christ, meaning it is our relationship with him. It is our faith in Christ, our belonging to him, that opens that door so that grace is a constant flow of God to us. We, we saw this over and over again as we've been going through Hebrews of Jesus' essential ministry of being our high priest who intercedes for us, the one who passed through the curtain in the holy place, and, and it was torn open by his death for our sin. The access to the presence of God was thrown open. It was torn open, so it never closes again by what Christ has done. Through him, in Christ, we have permanent constant access to the grace of God. It is now part of our lifestyle. It cannot be separated from the life of a Christian. Indeed, there is no, absolutely no activity of God in the life of a Christian that does not have grace embedded in it. Nothing. Not a single touch of God is absent his 
grace. Even, and we'll see it in Hebrews in a few weeks, even when God is disciplining us, it is as a grace. It's not wrath, it's not punishment, it's shaping and sifting us. Even when God has to move against us in what we would consider a negative way, God has to discipline us. There, he says, this is his grace, his love and care. The promise that all things work together for those who love God is another indication that everything that touches us has God's grace in it. It is a theological impossibility for anything to touch a Christian's life that does not have the grace of God in it. Nothing. Which means when we're in Christ, there is not a second of our existence that is not grace-filled. Now, we've already seen by what Paul has talked about with troubles, that doesn't mean it's all pleasant, it's all easy, it doesn't mean negative things don't happen, but grace is in it. And we're meant to recognize we are now people of grace and that is meant to strengthen us, the grace in Christ. If we're not in Christ, then none of those claims of grace being in everything is, is true for us. Like we're children of wrath. And all that we can expect if we're not in Christ is wrath and the hand of God against us. Because of God's commitment to grace... Because Christ has opened the curtain for us, the access to God and to be in a relationship of grace, that means we're welcome to all the grace that we could ever carry. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It speaks of God's throne, meaning his rule, his power, his authority for the people of God. His rule, power, and authority for us is the fountain and source of grace, that which we don't deserve, the goodness, the mercy, the care, the love of God just being poured out upon us constantly. And we, as much as we can carry. How many movies have you seen where, you know, the greedy bad guys... At the end, you know, there's some treasure and they're trying to gather it and they end up dying. They drown because of it or, you know, the, the earth opens. Something happens so that in their greed, they end up dying by it. They could, couldn't stop. They had to get more and it killed them. Well, for the believer, we don't die. You can just... You can grab as much grace as you can keep and carry with you. And the Lord just says, just keep coming for more. Come back this afternoon. We're still here in the morning. Just keep coming for grace. God's grace is measureless. It's an expression of him. 
It's an expression of the sheer wondrous majesty and love and goodness of God. He is the infinite being who always has been. There are no limitations upon God except his perfections. The only thing he cannot be is evil. He cannot be bad. He cannot be unwise. God is only limited by his perfections, and he is infinite in them, endless in them. And he comes to us through grace. How much light can the sun give? How much light does the sun have to give us? We can't measure it, but God's grace is far more. Eventually, even the sun would burn out. How much water is in the ocean? Could you measure that? And yet God's grace is more. How far is space? We speak of space having no end. Yet God's grace is more. It's further. God's grace is more than anything that can be measured, experienced. In Christ, God's grace is constant. And so that means no matter how difficult life is in any particular moment, God's grace is bigger than that. You may not be able to see it. Life may be so murky that you cannot see all of that grace. But it's there, bigger, far bigger. Your failures are all of your failures together are this little pittance compared to the grace of God. We act as if all of our weaknesses and our failures and our struggles, okay, yeah, God will overcome it as if it's going to be a close call. All of your foolishness is as nothing in measurement compared to the grace of God. So do not connect grace to your performance. Do not connect grace to your circumstances. Okay, that's how much grace, based upon how things seem to be going. Certainly not on your emotions. You know, is God being gracious to me? How do I feel? Uh, do not connect grace to how other people treat you. Well, if I did that, everyone I know would abandon me. So obviously God must want to abandon me because he sees. And I would abandon myself. Or if someone did that to me, I'd be so mad at them. I wouldn't talk to them. We cannot compare God to the way people act, or the way that we would respond. 
God is other than. And he has chosen through the work of his son that anyone who is in Christ is now a recipient of measureless, eternal, constant grace. Drenching us, filling us, touching everything in our life at every moment. And that should strengthen us. That's meant to impact us. And so we, we start again each day to pursue God in faithfulness. And we believe that if we struggled freshly with a sin that we thought we had cast out, rather than just beating ourselves and woe is me and pulling away from God in our discouragement, we believe there's grace just to press forward to living godly. Lord, I, I hate that sin. I don't want it. And we just keep going forward. And however people treat us, Grace is sufficient for us to continue in love, to continue to be patient. Even when it seems that burdens keep stacking. And sometimes we come across people, and maybe you're one of them, where it just seems, Lord, how many burdens can be stacked up for one person? Sometimes people are so stacked with burdens, we, we want to avoid them because it hurts too much just to be with them. And how do you respond to them? What do you say? And yet grace is still greater. It has to be for God is a farce. And the gospel is empty, a story. Either God is true and all he claims, or it's not. And if it's true, then grace is always there and we are meant to be strengthened in the reality of how God thinks of us. And how God is oriented toward us. And how he interacts with us. And how big his heart. There, there is always enough for us to take whatever is the next step of faithful to you, Lord. That sufficiency is there. Be strengthened in grace. Continue, Timothy, to be God's faithful man where you are. And Paul said, and I'm speaking of it as someone who's literally has chains around his wrist like a criminal for nothing more than speaking of Christ to those who didn't want to hear it. Grace is wondrous and full. But there is a warning. But we must never presume upon grace, meaning that we think because of grace, sin doesn't matter. And so people can think, 
I, I prayed a prayer to God. I said, Lord, I want, I want Jesus in my heart. And people say, if you do that, then you have Jesus. And so you're okay. And then we just continue in sin without any concern. Because we think God is loving, God is gracious. So unless I'm a really bad person, there's going to be God's going to let me into heaven. And so the, the tens of millions, the hundreds of millions, maybe even the billions of people who presume upon grace, they're a decent person. They're going to be in a better place with, without any humility before their Lord God, with any, without any confession of sin, without any hurt in their heart that they have offended God. That it, it's, it's not just that we believe that Jesus is out there and kind to me or we pray to prayer. Being in Christ means that we have confessed our sin recognizing that we deserve the wrath of God forever and only by his good grace through Christ that we humble ourselves and ask, would you cleanse my heart of sin? And he who is Savior is Lord, and we follow him. To be in Christ is one whose life is given to him, in submission to him. But those who claim to be Christian and presume upon grace... That is to be in probably the most dangerous situation of all. Because you're telling yourself you're going to be okay without any clear sense of the holiness of God. And what does it mean to actually be in Christ? In the end of this section, verses 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul quotes what probably was a hymn of that time. He says, if we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That most likely was part of a hymn of that time that Timothy would have known. And so it was something that as Paul shared it, there would be uh, that knowing warmth in Timothy's heart of something he knew and had sung. But the, the very end of it, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And, and there we see the, the two-edged sword of God's character. Uh, because there are two sides, and, and which emphasis is here, people debate. But because both, in a sense, are true. That even when we are faithless, when we fail, God is still faithful to us. And we experience that, and we know it. God's faithfulness is not measured on what, how our performance is. And we keep being faithful and we hold up our side and then God will also hold up his side. Well, that wouldn't be grace. 
He cannot deny himself. He will be faithful to his oath always. But in those those last two phrases, if we deny him, he'll deny us. So we see the pairing is how we act and how he is toward us. So if we are faithless, meaning that there is no faith in Christ, there is no true heart for him, he will be faithful to himself as the holy God and judge. So God will be faithful to his character. It will be absolute in every case. For those who have not come to him through the person of Christ, God must be judge. And his wrath must be against sin and it will he cannot deny himself he will be judge against sin if we are in Christ then all of that judgment has already fallen it has already fallen the judgment for our sin fell upon Christ who took it all and so in Christ now The only thing God can be to us is our Heavenly Father. And he cannot deny himself. He will be faithful in his grace. He can be nothing else. God cannot deny his character. That of the Holy Judge, that of the Heavenly Father, the throne of grace. And the difference between that, all rests on his son and how we have responded to him. Are we in Christ or not? The means of God's grace, we speak of God's grace, how wonderful, how does it come, how do we access, how how are we actually strengthened? It's out there, God wants us to have it. It's sufficient. How do we grow in it? How does it actually work within us? Because we would all recognize times when we believe what is true of Christ and we love him and follow him, and yet we're not always feeling grace-filled and we're not always feeling strengthened. The means of God's grace, it's activity in our mind and in our life and our relationships. The means of God's grace are both ordinary and supernatural at the same time. God's graces are ordinary, meaning God has given us means of grace that are meant to be part of the ordinary life of every believer means of grace which we access every believer regardless of condition or age or mental capacity or strength what every single believer can have and grow in without exception the fact that we have open access to God we can talk to him anytime And we're so used to thinking about prayer, we fail to be astonished by it. 
We fail to be amazed that we can just talk to God at any time. You can't talk to the president at any time. Steve's related to the mayor of Upper Township. He can't even talk to him whenever he wants. You can't talk to me at any time. You can ring my phone all you want. If I don't know your number, you don't leave a message. We all recognize the reality of limitations of communication. And those limitations exist for every person in the world except for God. The only person that you can directly speak to and is as attentive and caring and focused on you as he can be. God is never more or less attentive. He's not more or less paying attention. He is always all that God is. Every time you speak to him. It is the ordinary means of grace that is very supernatural as well. We have the word of God. The truth that operates the universe. The universe built on the truth given to us. It is the truth that cannot change, cannot fail, will not be overturned. It's the truth that brings life into existence. The truth that brings fullness to life that God created. The truth that carries us into eternity. That you can open and read and think about and grow in at any time. It is both the ordinary means of grace and it is very supernatural. Worship that we can exalt God and exalt in him. Related, connected to prayer and the word. But I think it, it needs its own category. That we are raising up the truths and realities of God. Lifting them and praising them and making them wondrous in our attention. That is a very helpful grace that we have because part of being born of the Spirit is it's not just mental capacity to understand a truth about God. It is a heart that enjoys and appreciates and is touched and moved by those truths. And we have the church, our forever family, that God has established that we would be strengthened, that we would not be alone, that we would have the accountability and the encouragement that we would be known and know. And that's why the New Testament has over 50 one another passages 
of all sorts because the Christian life is meant to be lived in community. That is part of the grace of God, how we are strengthened by how God works through his people in their knowing us, in their praying for us, in their example, in their words, in their gifting. All of these are common. They're ordinary. They're all meant to be a part of our regular life. They're not special things that only some Christians have access to. They are the ordinary ways that God has given us. This is how we grow in grace. This is how we mature. This is what God has given to all of us to use. And they're also supernatural because they all come through the Holy Spirit. And so he intercedes for us. When we have groanings, when we don't know how to pray as we should, Romans 8.26, and the Spirit intercedes and lifts our prayers to the Father. He is the one who gave scripture and causes it come to life for us to know it, to be a part of our heart. When we engage in the means that God has given us to grow deep in grace, when we engage in it, there's always more happening than just me praying, me reading words on a page, me attending a service. It is it is the Spirit of God working that into your life beyond what you recognize. And what happens through you to others is more than you see. And as we come together, as, as we sing and listening and all of us here and, and wanting to know the truth and lifting up the grace of God and being thankful to be here all that affects everyone else if we all came here coldly we came we got our seat we sat we got up sang and sat and a sermon is preached and we just sat and listened and then went out how different would that be in its effect on you and if people came to observe, well, let me find out what God's about. How would that affect them? Would they ever come back? How we participate in this is powerful. The Spirit of God uses it. So how we come and are a part, and how we engage and we speak of these things is used by the Spirit of God. And so people you haven't met but pray for in different parts of the world are impacted and grace comes to them through you. How many times I've been thanked by believers you have not yet met who they are so thankful that there are Christians somewhere else in the world that remember us. And when you're alone and it's hard 
And you know that there are Christians somewhere who remember you and stick with that remembrance. That, that strengthens them in grace. When we reject these means, casual with prayer, casual with scripture, casual with the church, you can't reject the means without rejecting the spirit. Or as scripture speaks of quenching the spirit, the spirit active and there in, and we just kind of douse it by not really being attentive not taking it seriously. The Spirit gave Scripture. He speaks to you by it. He gave birth to the church. He created it for you. When we treat those things lightly, we're treating lightly grace, the means of grace. We, we fail to be strengthened as God intends, as he means, as he freely gives. Like someone who has all the money they could ever want and is eating dog food. As if they, they don't have means. They don't have money. So to rest in God's grace it, it is and this important is this distinction is important. There's a difference between being strengthened and being strong. When we are thinking, I have to be strong, we're thinking of what we can conjure up and make ourselves be. Versus being strengthened. You can remain weak and be strengthened. We are people being strengthened. Meaning God is working in us in what he needs to do. Even if we're weak the whole time. Because the spirit of God is in us. And using us in that. Our weakness doesn't handicap God. It's irrelevant to God. In fact, he tells us we're weak. He says, apart from me, you can do. He doesn't even say much. He goes all for it. Nothing! We don't have to feel strong to have all the strength we need. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure, treasure in jars of clay to show something, to prove something, so we would know something that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And so the sense of Feeling weak? Why don't feel stronger? That's because if you did, then you'd start acting strong as if you're in control. And then you wouldn't depend upon God, and then you'd end up derailed. 
And so to live always sensing weakness and need is good for us because it's true and we don't handle the other very well. Faithfulness rests on God's grace and faithfulness uses God's grace. In verses 2 to 7, then what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy is told to be strengthened by grace and then in his particular calling of pastoral ministry, then he was to be used by God in that strength to equip other men for ministry, other men to be pastors. We don't have the same specific responsibilities as Timothy, but the same principle is just as true for us. That we are to be strengthened in grace, and part of that then is to use this grace that is constantly flowing upon us. We are to be vessels of grace, fountains of grace, people using the grace given. Not just how thankful I am God is being good to me, how good it is I am blessed. Yes, we have that, but we're to live that out. We're to do something with all of this grace. We have a responsibility to apply the grace we receive toward others, believers and unbelievers alike. To believers, the grace of how we are part of them being encouraged for unbelievers, pointing them to where grace is found. We who are saved, as one writer, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One sinner telling another one where forgiveness is found, where hope is found. So we have grace to give for each person we meet. They may not receive it, they may not care, but we have grace that can be given, that is needed by everyone. And so to live in the awareness that our life can have a meaningful touch on every single person that we come in contact with. There's something that God has given us some grace that they can use. Now, it doesn't mean you always have opportunity or they care. You always know what to say. But everyone you meet has need of grace. And every believer has truth and grace enough to be an impact on others and to own that truth. That should bring some vibrancy and attentiveness to life. There can be just grace explosions at any moment. Who knows where it could come out? Each grace is a gift, the goodness, the blessing of God. We cannot have his heart and remain self-centered with it. I'm thankful for what God has done for me. All the other people in the church are on their own. We wouldn't say it, but if we're not engaged, what's the difference between saying it and living it? The rhythm of the Christian life is to be a fountain of grace. As we go through the day, in our home, our neighbors, people at church, 
the rhythm of life is grace is flowing. How can grace touch others? Every morning I try to think about and pray about the interactions I know I will have. Now that doesn't mean I pay attention to my own prayer throughout the whole day. But I'm trying to start it well. Who will I be with? What will I be doing? And trying to praying about those situations for God's grace to be in it. Sometimes the prayers, God, help me in some places just to be quiet. You know, not to try to appear smart. You know, you have a lunch with a bunch of pastors and you want them to be impressed with you and think you know what you're doing. Lord, keep me from trying to impress anyone. How about I just listen and learn today? And sometimes people need to hear from us. But what does grace look like in the interactions, the rhythm of our day? And consider the magnitude if everyone in our church thought and lived that way. Sundays when we come together are pretty wonderful. Over all of these, it'd take me too long to figure out math. Thousands of services. It never gets old. It never gets old to come when the service starts. And if we're all engaged, how that just multiplies what God is doing. Paul presses into this faithfulness with three word pictures. To be faithful like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. It's all about just faithfulness toward God with the grace he's given, with how we're using grace. As a soldier means we're focused on who we serve. See, the army provides everything you need. Your snazzy clothes, your good haircut, and the food you eat. The government provides it all. So you don't, you're not going to the store. You're not, you, your time by the government providing for you is you don't have to worry about working to get that. You can focus on serving that authority you're under. He says in a similar way, God will provide for you. You can be engaged. Be faithful like an athlete. Conform to the framework God has placed over us. An athlete plays by the rules. If you don't play by the rules, you're in a foul, you're in violation. You can't continue to play. Imagine a game where each team decided to use its own rules. It'd be ridiculous. There's no way you could have a game. And yet the world says we, that works with God, doesn't matter what religion or spirituality you have. 
God will accept it all. It's like saying every team can have their own rules. Doesn't matter. Sure it does. Be faithful like a farmer. Work hard for the harvest in which we'll have a share. The labor that we're in is, is all leading to the final harvest of our eternity where we will have a share in the glory there and what God has done and lives changed. So take joy in your work for the blessing that will come. And so he gives us pictures of ways to think about being faithful. As we would see happen in all these other areas of life, how much more should it be in the things of God? If we're faithful in anything, shouldn't it be the things of God? And faithfulness, it, it keeps us focused on Christ. And that perhaps more than anything is, is what should enliven in our faithfulness, our focus on Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, verse 8, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel. He gets two realities about Christ, which are also repeated in Romans chapter 1, and there with more detail. So we, why does he bring these two things up? He, he speaks of Focus on Christ risen from the dead, and secondly, offspring of David. In Romans 1, he says, verses 3 and 4, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So there we see in Romans, he, he is showing these two points about Jesus, the one raised from the dead, is what declares he is the son of God by power because no one else leaves the grave. And he is flesh, born of David, a child of promise, the one God had promised would come in this world to save, the Messiah. It speaks of his deity, of his humanity, which all points to why he came. And the promise he represents for us. He is the resurrected one. What more do we need than someone who knows how to resurrect the dead? And he, he knows it so well, not only from his own personal experience, but the scripture says a day will come when he will shout and every dead body will be raised. At the command of Jesus. And those dead for thousands of years who the, the molecules of their body are spread across the earth or in the ocean... And when Jesus speaks, every molecule from the furthest reaches of the earth will spring together instantaneously in form. And to God, that's nothing. It's not an effort. And he is descendant of David. He is the promise of God. God promised a savior for you. 
I can't do it. We're often confined by our limits. We know about weakness. We're opposed, but God never is. So I'm bound with chains as a criminal. The word of God is not bound. And when our life is about his kingdom rather than our own, we know he is not bound. What he is doing will be accomplished. All he has purposed will happen. And when our life is committed to being a part of what he is doing, then our life is not bound. Even though it seems like we're filled with limitations, but God will fulfill in ways that will leave us astonished because we'll know it was all God. And we'll see that we'll have been a part of what he is doing. We trust that God remains unbound. And so we continue to focus on being faithful because whatever we face, however difficult, however it piles up, God is not bound. And grace is here. And we can be strengthened in it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may what is true of you just echo in our hearts and minds. That doubts and accusations would be drowned out by your voice. And what is true of you, true of you, true for us from you. May we always exalt the Lord Jesus, who is worthy to be exalted, to give ourselves reason to be encouraged, reason to take joy for his unbounded work. Oh, for your great grace that just keeps pouring out. We thank you for this. Help us to be aware of it, to live by it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.